Friends and enemies, welcome to the Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney, and we're recording today here again in beautiful Amiskwichi, Wisconsin, otherwise known as Edmonton, Alberta. Rejoining me is Laura Cruz from the Kino Lefter podcast to continue our conversation on conspiracy theories. And, and for this podcast, I swear we're going to get into the story Laura wrote for us and the, the particular conspiracy theory that she wrote about for the Progress Report. Laura, welcome back to the Progress Report. Back by popular demand. Hi, thanks. Well, we just got talking about conspiracy theories and we couldn't shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. So um, the last podcast is really good. If you if you were listening to this and you haven't listened to it, it is a really uh, pretty sweet history of kind of uh, conspiracy theories in North America, all the way up from the Masons in the 1830s to, you know, QAnon today. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, that's where we've done that. We've kind of gone through the history. We've done the reading. Now it's on to the story that you wrote and it's time to bring it all back to Alberta. So the story you wrote for us, uh, and, and the link will be in the show notes, of course, but you've connected uh, the UCP hiring McKinsey and company, these management consultant psychos. Uh, they've been hired to uh, examine, uh, produce a report on our post-secondary education system. Yeah, that's correct. And, and you've linked this, uh, the UCP hiring McKinsey to do this to a very popular conspiracy theory with the online left in Canada. What is that conspiracy theory and kind of what's the connection? Remember how there's a, a uh, election happening in the States in November, allegedly? Maybe, well... possibly. <laughs> I, I, who knows if it'll actually happen or if Donald Trump will, you know, leave if he loses, but yes. Um, so during the uh, Democratic primary race, Um, There was a candidate called Pete Buttigieg who uh, basically kind of came out of nowhere. So he's a small time uh, Democratic mayor um, of South Bend, Indiana, and um, he uh, was became one of the front runners in the race, uh, kind of out of nowhere. Not really a person with uh, huge name recognition prior to this race. He won Iowa. I mean, it seems like eight years ago, but he won the Iowa Democratic primary, right? Allegedly, yes. Barely, Um. barely. I mean, depending (laughs) on how you do the math. (laughs) But yeah, that was very shocking to people because going into that race, uh, Bernie was looking so strong. And then also people thought that there would be um, a large, uh, you know, a large surge for Biden. That was the front runner through all the... uh, the kind of speculation up to that point. So then when Pete Buttigieg, who also came out uh, early before the results were announced and kind of made this speech that very heavily implied that he had won, um, it it kind of was a shock to everybody who was uh, watching that. So uh, he comes out of nowhere. He uh, takes the the uh, front front runner spot um, in the Iowa caucus and, uh, like a big shock but prior to this um when he had been doing his promotion of his campaign um a lot of attention was paid to you know his military service and um his very kind of moderate positions so um you know that's kind of how he was setting himself apart he became kind of the poster boy for the moderate center of the party Kind of yes, the, the extremely exciting candidate. What was the <laughs> what was the tagline on the Vogue photo shoot? Pete Buttigieg makes bland sizzle or something yeah, fucking poli- stupid like that. A policy wonk with sex appeal, which uh, kind of reminds me of a, another horny tweet about another kind of centrist uh, Democrat. Oh God, yeah, I do remember that. But he's <laughs> he's like this utterly unremarkable, like former mayor of a town of a hundred thousand people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's this. He's he's gay. He's a he's a former. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
intelligence or not not necessarily intelligence but uh He's military naval guy naval, naval intelligence, intelligence. Yep. and like military guy you know there's pictures of him you know in, in yeah in yeah in armor and with a gun and shit and then uh but the other thing that caught your eye was wasn't necessarily his military service it was something else he did during his private sector career Yep. So right when he graduated from Oxford and Harvard, um, he took a three-year stint with uh, McKinsey and Company, which is this global management consulting firm, has you know um, offices in sixty-five countries, and uh, he worked for them as one of their like quote-unquote whiz kids. They love to scoop um, kids right out of these elite uh, universities and give them. I mean, like, McKinsey is, is this extremely evil corporation that we'll get into, but, but we'll get into one, of the, one of their favorite ticks is describing anyone who has ever worked there for any amount of time as an absolute fucking genius. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm expecting my invite to uh, interview soon, but nothing yet. It's just the cream of the crop. Anyone <laughs> I who's think ever I'm a been little, there. <laughs> I think I'm a little old to be a whiz kid now, too. Yeah, um, but... Um, yeah, so he took a job there. It was about three years uh, that he was working, and uh, he talked about, you know, how the world was his classroom, like whether it be, you know, uh, a seat of an airplane, uh, anywhere you could bring a laptop, you know, uh, offices all over the world, um, you know, uh, secure sites in Afghanistan, <laughs> like anywhere in the world. And um, this kind of, he wrote about it in this memoir, right? Shortest Way Home, where he talked about how in 2008, he was working in Toronto with an unnamed Canadian grocery store chain and uh, that they were looking at how to combine um, prices uh, uh, across a, a lot of different products. And basically this timeline very neatly coincides with a massive price fixing scandal that basically all the Canadian retailers, the large Canadian retailers, were all kind of banding together to artificially inflate the price of bread about double the amount of what uh, other grocery uh, commodities were costing over the same time period. And basically, like, so Loblaws got, got out ahead. Well, no, of I'm, I'm just going to stop you right there because... It is, we have totally memory, memory hold this fucking oh, thing, totally. right? <laughs> like, yeah. like the idea that our, our grocery store billionaires, because like mm -hmm. the people who own our grocery stores, the Loblaws, the, the Galen Weston, or the Weston family, the Sobeys family, mm -hmm. these fucking psychos are incredibly wealthy. And, you know, essentially they're like lords mm -hmm. and they fixed the price of bread for years. Yep. Like, like this is the stuff like the French Revolution and like shit has like like has happened over less and like Canadians yeah. were just like, yeah, well, whatever. They gave us twenty five dollar gift card, you know. It's such a banality of evil kind of thing, cause uh you know, when you hear about how much a price uh the, the price of a loaf of bread is, um, you know, a few dollars, but just that the fact that that's fifty percent more than it should be, um, this very, very basic thing that I think is used to also um, calculate the cost of living. Like if the cost of bread rises, that uh, is also tied to the cost of living rise, I believe. So oh, it's definitely in the like bread basket for like this, the inflation calculation or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So 
um, they're just making money already hand over fist. You know, Galen Weston is, um, I think, the richest man in Canada. Also a Bilderberg conference uh, attendee, <laughs> putting putting together everything there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just such a it's such a perfect um, scheme because it's also so like unsexy, and it really shows you how the ruling class functions to just very like uh boiling boiling frogs you know like very slowly yeah. turning up the heat on everyone else so that we're just gonna you know, make the price of bread 100 exactly. percent more than it otherwise would have been over mm-hmm. the 10 years and we're just gonna skim those billions off of the top of everyone who needs to buy fucking bread which is you know <laughs> which is everyone, everyone. yeah <laughs> and 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 okay so so Buttigieg is in his memoir, talks explicitly about his, I mean, he doesn't name Loblaws, but it's, I mean, the, the kind of conspiracy theory heavily intimates this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, oh, here, what's the line from the book? Here it is. The effects of price cuts on various combinations of items across their hundreds of stores. Okay, mm-hmm. so yeah, very sus, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and so he's, he sends this in his book, but it doesn't really kind of become this whole, like, Pete Buttigieg connection to the bread kind of price fixing scheme doesn't really become uh, popular until until what point? So um, one of a Twitter user, a friend of mine, Chalco X uh, or, or Chalco Rex, sorry if I'm butchering that, it, it's in the piece. Um, but uh, basically, uh, he extracted this one section from uh, Shortest Way Home and was talking about the uh, the. Pr- m- maybe connection between um, Pete Buttigieg and this like scandal between all these uh, Canadian grocers. And uh, this was picked up on um, by the New York times. So uh, what's his name? Byron. Benjamin Applebaum. Yeah. Yeah. He basically uh, does this really uh, amazing interview uh, with Pete Buttigieg where he talks like the HAL 9000 robot from um, 2001 Space Odyssey and is like, you've been fixing the price of bread, haven't you, Pete? <laughs> Pete, gets really, <laughs> Pete gets really like sweaty and stuttering and is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on there, Buster. I've not been doing any such thing. Also he even very- cursed. He even cursed. Like mm-hmm. little little bright eyed, bushy tailed Pete Buttigieg <laughs> was like, "Whoa, I'm gonna drop an f bomb or a shit or something." I forget what he said, but but you know what's interesting is that he doesn't. You know, he McKinsey is very explicitly tied to like the privatization of like war torn countries and all this other stuff, right? And doesn't deny any of those other things, but just gets very upset when he's talking about I didn't personally do anything um, with. Uh, price fixing. No, maybe no, a client that we maybe had was maybe involved, right? So it's I worked very, for a uh, consulting firm that had a client that fixed bread prices. All right, I'll have you know, <laughs> I didn't fix the price of bread. Yeah, exactly. And it kind of got tied in with Loblaw specifically, but it could be any of them. But yeah, yeah, it the, could be Safeway or Sobeys or God knows. Could uh, be, but it's it's Loblaws because they worked with. Uh, in the bread truther movement, yeah. yes. And, no, and, and this, and this move, but this, this moment with Applebaum, this New York times editor and, and Buttigieg goes viral and like the bread truther movement essentially, you know, is, is kind of goes mainstream. Yeah. It goes from just some randos on, on left Canadian Twitter talking about it to like, you know, everyone talking uh-huh. about this. It's pretty yeah. funny. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's very convenient cause he doesn't like talk about anything else. Right. Cause he doesn't he doesn't deny any other thing i don't think and it's been a while since i've seen the um uh the full interview 
But this really drags kind of McKinsey and company into the public eye, a company uh, that is again like evil as fuck and yeah. terrible, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, and I think McKinsey is worth a kind of closer examination. So like, what what is McKinsey and Company? Um, so McKinsey and Company was founded in 1926 uh, by a um, you know the guy who basically invented management consulting, who's uh, uh, was a professor at um, the University of Chicago named uh, James O. McKinsey. Um, and I think why this is significant is because it also comes from the same, uh, you know, intellectual birthplace of uh, the entire neoliberal uh, economic system. Uh, so Milton Friedman, also a very famous economist out of uh, the Chicago School of Economics. Um, yeah, Chicago... like in the 50s or whatever, though, like later on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Later on. But that kind of like um, intellectual uh conservative elite oftentimes like has their roots in Chicago. Um, yeah. The like the intellectual kind of like, uh, you know, work that was done to justify all of the terrible things that neoliberalism has done to us over the past 50 years. Exactly. Yeah. And um, so, you know, James O. McKinsey came kind of out of that uh, milieu as well, not at the same time, but kind of same vibes, I would say same vibes. Um, and uh, they're huge now, you know, they operate in, I think 130 cities. Um, in like over 60 countries all over the world, uh, including one in, in Calgary, um, an office in Calgary. So they basically um, are a management consultant firm. And what a management consultant firm uh, will tell you what they do is that they you know, work with a client, they try to identify a problem the client is having, and they try to find the most efficient way to solve your problem. So whatever your problem is, they'll come in and they will you know, work their magic with their genius, absolute genius whiz kids, and they will um, figure out the best course of action. But in truth, what they do is uh, they just basically are mercenaries available to say or do whatever you want. So if you read, you know, the UCP has hired McKinsey for over three and a half million dollars, I think $3.7 million to write this uh, report on the Alberta post-secondary system. And uh, they basically put out a bunch of proposals where they said, this is what, these are the parameters that we want you to examine our um, post-secondary system under. And then you're going to write a report about the best way that we get there. So any client is setting the parameters of what they're um, asking for. Um, mm -hmm. But they'll basically give you the... Um, they'll give you the bad news so that you kind of have a arm's length person to kind of say, well, look, you know, uh, the Ernst we didn't want to fire all of you and put you out on the street, but McKinsey and co said we had to, yeah. if we wanted to chop 30% from our budget, which yeah. we asked them to do. So yeah. you're fucked. Get, get yeah. fucked. Uh, look, bye. Man, sorry. My hands are tied. <laughs> this report that I paid for, um, we, we have to, uh, we have to follow it. Sorry. So, yeah, like McKinsey, they're like they're the high priests of neoliberal ideology, right? Like, mm -hmm. if you need to offshore something, uh, if you need to, you know, do a whole bunch of layoffs to and, and move all of that work to some other location with, you know, lower labor standards and and and, and less uh, less environmental regulations. Yeah, uh, the McKinsey are the folks you hire. They were the best at it. They were the like the premier fucking people to purveying yeah. both this ideology as well as like getting paid by corporations to do it right mm -hmm. yeah exactly but mckinsey is uh and this i mean i guess this also follows the the pattern that jason kenney has set up right like he he loves these 
arm's length, uh, you know, third parties, third parties in quotation marks, to give these types of reports, right? We've had Janice McKinnon and her kind of blue ribbon panel. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had a similar, some accounting firm with, Ernst what was it? With Ernst & Young for uh, the, our health system. You know, right before a pandemic, they were like, actually, you know, you should get rid of all these rural hospitals. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and I mean, the, the pandemic has largely interrupted the austerity that was about to be inflicted on uh, on the healthcare system. But it, it's like the report's right there. Like, if yep. and when this thing ever gets licked, like the healthcare system is about to get cut to the bone, right? Yep, exactly. And so, uh, and McKinsey's yeah. just kind of the like latest and greatest example of this for the post secondary system. Yeah, exactly. And basically, they're being asked to uh, in their request for proposal for these things, they're being asked explicitly to um, implement the uh, specific recommendations that the McKinnon report had for the post-secondary sector. Yeah. So they're setting, again, like you're talking about, set the parameters. Here's the deal. We need to fuck the post-secondary system. We want to, we want to gut it. We want it to do the things that we want it to do. We want to fire a whole bunch of people, maybe shut down a handful of them. Mm -hmm. uh, the ones that we don't like or restrict the parts that we don't like. Uh, please make this happen, McKinsey. Yeah, exactly. And so what is the, what are the like honest or what are the like reasonable expectations from this, right? Like what are the solutions, quote unquote, that are, that, that you think are going to come out of, of this report? So um, these are all based on, it's directly out of the, um, the, the request for proposal that the UCP government put out. Um, so it's, it's all right there for you. Um, but they basically have a mandate to uh, look at, quote unquote, more entrepreneurial ways of funding the academy so that it's less reliant on government grants and uh, to increase their revenue mix um, to include more tuition. So this just basically means more private sector donations and um, more tuition straight from individual students, uh, less, less government funding, less you know, uh, public funding. Um, mm -hmm. They're going to be uh, looking at the governance structure. So how are the um, how are the universities run? Um, they're going to be looking at. I mean, just to jump in there too, that's hilarious, right? Because the UCP wasted no time in immediately stacking every single fucking board yep. of every single university with their cronies and donors and volunteers. Well, so I don't know. Janice McKinnon is on now the board of uh, governors for the University of Alberta, like directly off the heels of this report was placed on there. So you knew what was coming. Mm -hmm. Just not, not even, it's not even a little bit covert. Right? <laughs> they just did it straight up. Um, yeah, there's one thing, one thing I can appreciate about the UCP actually yeah. is that they like, they just, they know what political project they're a part of, they know who their masters are, and they just go out and fucking do the work. Whereas yeah. the NDP got to bring all the people who fucking hate them into the, into a room, <laughs> spend two years asking them what they want, kind of half do it. And then, and then that never actually do, like, don't actually like end up doing anything that, that sticks and, totally and waste so much time in the process. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like something like if you consider the 25 a day um, daycare program that they put in, you know, that's a great program. Um, but in the amount of centers it was, if it was a universal program that a lot more people had access to, it would be way harder for um, the UCP to just like eviscerate that as well, because it would be like, suddenly everybody is in the same kind of boat and they can really know what they're missing, right? And, and kind of push back. Those universal programs are very um, sticky for people and they really matter to people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
But back to McKinsey. So McKinsey is, is doing, what are they supposed to be doing to our system, to our, to our universities and colleges? Yeah. So they're also going to look at the viability, quote unquote, of uh, several institutions. That means, you know, consolidate them, shut them down, uh, reduce duplication. So um, a lot of places, speculation is that they're going to be, um, you know, taking, taking it so that only specific programs are running at specific universities and that kind of stuff. Um, and then also uh, removing the ability for um, the faculty to be able to kind of have input on uh, program design. So uh, Ricardo Cunha, who's the president of um, the Faculty Association at the University of Alberta, was pointing this out, you know, saying that, um, you know, rather than doing programs that are for the public good, um, you might be uh, doing programs, designing programs and research that will suit the interests of the board of directors exclusive or the board of governors, pardon me, exclusively. Um, so the board of governors is largely dominated by private oil and gas interests. Um, and then the last thing that they really want McKinsey to work on is how further to kind of roll out the welcome mat for um, uh, businesses to, to do in, uh, to, to take root in Alberta. So this is, you know, the Alberta advantage, the fabled, you know, low taxes, land of the free that we've got going on here. The lowest yeah, the, tax. Put out, put out the welcome mat for businesses in Alberta. Like, bitch, like Alberta <laughs> universities and Alberta are already like hand in glove with fucking the corporations and, and, yeah. and like business interests, right? Yeah. And we just became the lowest uh, jurist, lowest tax uh, jurisdiction in all of North America for corporations. Yeah. And they don't uh, pay TV, them anyway. TV, but <laughs> TD Bank is TD Bank is going to relocate here next year. You heard it here first. TD Bank, Bank of Montreal, Bank of Nova Scotia, all these big Toronto-based uh, giant banks. They're definitely coming to Calgary. <laughs> Jobs and growth, baby. They're, that's job creating. Okay, so you've kind of laid out how um, you know what what McKinsey has essentially been hired to do by the UCP, and it's very much their kind of modus operandi. They are they are these. Um, you know, slash and burners, you know, they work with anyone who will pay them yep. to do all sorts of evil shit. They also and, work like behind the scenes, right? So you don't really like, they don't t publicly take credit for things. Their client list is prote uh, protected by very robust uh, agreements. They didn't even release um, Pete from his during the course of the presidential run. So it's quite, um, they're quite like behind the scenes. You only hear about them when something goes horrifically wrong, which it often does. Which uh, which you detail in our story. So what are what are your some of like you know greatest hits of McKinsey and, and like some of the shady illegal you know conspiracy theory shit that is actually real that they've gotten mm -hmm. up to. Mm -hmm. So when I was re researching this article, I knew McKinsey was evil, but I was just like, wow, this is this is a lot. <laughs> So, it's a lot of evil here. This is a lot of evil. So I, in the article, I really go into uh, a detail with two of them, which I think are the most fucked and the, that, that upset me personally the most. Um, the first is that they worked with uh, this company, this uh, drug manufacturer called Purdue, who uh, was a large part of pushing the drug Oxycontin um, throughout the 90s and the early 2000s, culminating in this like massive crisis that uh, we're faced in was people you know as as the you know conditions around us are worsening and deaths of despair are going up a lot of them are you know comorbid with this rise in oxycontin use uh, especially in kind of economically depressed areas of um, of the states and in Canada so um, they basically worked with um, Purdue to 
quote unquote turbocharge the um uh, the sale of Oxycontin and they wanted to double uh, the amount of Oxycontin that was um, being sold in a year. Uh, they did all kinds of stuff. Like um, they worked with them on how to kind of counteract this very emotional messages that mothers who had lost uh, children to overdoses were putting out. You know, they knew full well that people were addicted to this drug and uh, were dying in like record numbers. And they were like, okay, here's what we do. We uh, counteract all this negative messaging by, you know, stressing that Oxycontin, um, you know, lowers pain. It helps you feel less isolated and depressed. <laughs> like it definitely does do that, but not in the yeah. way that's uh, actually a real, something. real thank you for smoking shit. Just exactly. Like the, the yeah. most evil PR stuff you can imagine. Exactly. They, uh, there was a, a, an attempt at cr uh, crackdown when, you know, there were being billions of pills sold um, in the like over 10 billion pills were sold in uh, 2012. And there was this crackdown on the distributors, right? The um, Walgreens and these large chains um, were being asked to put additional measures in place to kind of flag where these, you know, quote unquote, pill mills were uh, these doctors that will just kind of like churn out um, these prescriptions for folks. And uh, McKinsey helped um, McKinsey helped uh, Purdue to lobby Walgreens and, and make sure that their product was still being sold. And, you know, you can just look at the astronomical amount of deaths of despair and especially places like Appalachia, where it's called like kind of hillbilly heroin. Uh, and in, and in recent tragic news, Jonathan Sackler, the co-owner of Purdue Pharma, Purdue Pharma uh, died uh, at the age of 65 of cancer. Um, see you in hell. Yeah. RIP to a real one. Not really. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So yeah, McKinsey, bad. What's your other, uh, what, what was the other McKinsey one you had that, that really fucking rattled you? So, uh, they also worked with, um, immigration and customs enforcement, otherwise known as ICE. Uh, so they were, they basically started a relationship with ICE. Uh, it's been over $20 million over the entire, uh, run of their relationship, um, under the Obama administration. And then just concluded, I, I think in 2018, um, with, you know, massive public outcry about the practices that ICE were engaging in. And uh, so basically, you know, officials from ICE, uh, and you can do with that information what you will, officials from ICE claim that um, McKinsey's kind of prescriptions and solutions and efficiency findings were uh, too much even for them. <laughs> so uh, they were saying, you know, you know how you can save some money? We'll reduce uh, food that people are eating, their medical care. Um, do they really need food and blankets and medicine? <laughs> really? I think they could do with a little less. Um, so people that were uh, also in kind of uh, congregate jailing facilities were being transferred out into these like underserved rural jails that are a lot more dangerous for people to be um, held in. They, uh, yeah, they just basically wanted to make life even worse for people who are detained under this like already very awful and evil program. Uh, and they also, they're so embedded in um, like ICE's workings that they go throughout their own contract to, to justify their own retention. <laughs> so, wow. But, but you're yeah. saying, you're saying that ICE was like slow down McKinsey. Like yeah. that's what they, okay. That's what they say. I have, that's what notes. they say. I mean, <laughs> but even, 
<laughs> even if it's someone trying to cover their ass, it's still fucking hilarious it's, and like yeah. so evil. Exactly. Like literally this agency whose whole um, function is to exist to be like t- a terrifying uh, boot of the state, like stepping on people who are just trying to like escape, you know, massive economic hardship usually imposed by the United States on especially, you know, Latin and South America, um, like tear families apart. We've all seen those like horrific images of like the detained children and those. Yeah, you know, the modern day Gestapo. Exactly. They're the ones who put kids in cages. Exactly. They're like they're like McKinsey. Slow down. Exactly. You're too evil for us. <laughs> Allegedly, yeah. Allegedly, perhaps. <laughs> uh, you have some other kind of a McKinsey greatest hits. You don't have to kind of go into as much detail, but I know that there's a few other things that you you list in the story and that have come up in your research that are probably worth mentioning. Um, yeah, there's so many. They um, worked with the Saudi Arabian government to um, identify uh, key dissidents who were bringing up criticisms of them. And then very soon after, uh, Jamal Khashoggi was you know, allegedly murdered uh, in the Turkish embassy, um, the ju- Saudi journalist. So possible connection there. Um, they were involved in a scandal in South Africa where um, the nationalized power company was, you know, completely corrupt um, and embedded with this like very uh, evil billionaire individual. And they were completely illegally uh, working in there as well. So that, that the Gupta family or was that some other South yes, African corruption family. scandal? Yes, exactly. Oh, the, Gupta, the Gupta shit is incredible out of South Africa. But yeah, okay, keep going, keep going. <laughs> they were involved in uh, top level executives at McKinsey were involved in insider trading. So they went, went to jail for that. Um, and they have worked with Kremlin linked businesses. They've worked with um, like Ukrainian fascists, <laughs> they've done, you know, there's so many things that it's the, the mind just boggles that these are just the unsavory details that we know about. So there are definitely tons more things out there that have McKinsey's fingerprints all over them that we'll probably never know. So just, yeah, total mercenaries for capital, essentially, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, I mean, thank you for the story. It's really good and if you haven't read the story and you're listening to this podcast you should definitely read it you should share it um this piece that you wrote is part of a uh a column like an ongoing monthly column that we've started collaborating on uh Mm -hmm. called you know the red string Mm -hmm. um you know uh, this is a reference to you know your cork board with your pictures and your your pins and your your red (laughs) string connecting it all together that the classic look the classic, yeah, like the the gift from, you know, it's always sunny in Philadelphia or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's so popular. Um, so I guess the question, we kind of covered the history of, you know, conspiracy theories, but I think the kind of modern conspiracy, and, and also why it's important for you to kind of uh, understand why these things are so popular and how they work and mm-hmm. and the kind of theory behind conspiracy theories. But I'm kind of interested in getting into... Um, you know, your own personal, like, how did you as a person get into conspiracy theories? What was your kind of entryway into the, uh, the world of, you know, becoming, learning how it all works and how it's all connected? Mm -hmm. I would say that I've always been a person who's like interested in, um, the truth, (laughs) quote unquote, I've always been uh, very, not me, fuck that shit. (laughs) 
guy, you're fake news. Um, But I've always been interested in like um, alternative histories and uh, like digging into things and like things not being what they seem. And so I've always uh, been interested in that, always been a bit of a contrarian as well. Um, And I'd say that my first kind of entry into like the loony side of conspiracy theories was uh, 9-11 trutherism. And I've emerged from that, you know, older and wiser. I never kind of uh, was deeply embedded in the truther community, <laughs> um, but I would, you know, I, I dabbled with a little loose change, a little zeitgeist uh, in my high school days. And yeah, my uh, brother, who's more your age, he definitely remembers the kind of zeitgeist. And yeah, uh, I was a little too old. I mean, I just wasn't in high school when it happened or whatever. But it yeah. was like it was a weird mishmash of everything. Zeitgeist wasn't it? Was it was nine eleven conspiracy trutherism, but it was also like a a whole like worldview, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, what I remember about it really clearly because I was like, "Whoa, man, this is blowing my mind." Was about how like the myth of Jesus repeats through all kinds of different world religions. And this like idea of a son being, um, you know, reborn, <laughs> like murdered and reborn for the sake of healing humanity is like comes from ancient Egypt and stuff. It's like uh, and I remember it being like kind of this larger, like unified um, view of how the New World Order works, I think. Um, I don't remember too much about it. It's been a while since I revisited uh, Zeitgeist. I don't think I will. <laughs> but it's been a while um so yeah that was kind of my entryway into that but I did think those people were like kooky I think I have a bit more of a nuanced um uh view of the Bush did 9-11 kind of meme now I think what really kind of set me on to um the path that I'm on now was the financial crisis in 2008 and starting to learn about that and learning that everything was um everything that I thought I took for a given at that time, it was right when I turned 18, the financial crisis happened. So it was my first year of school. And it it just all kind of made me think that like I was living on in the system, right, a system that can fail. And I had never been uh, alive for a recession, I didn't know. And this was like, you know, the greatest one, the biggest one since the Great Depression. So that made me start to kind of learn about how capitalism functions. And uh, that um, really like opened my eyes to the ways that the the, the way that the ruling class acts, when, even though they propagate, Mark Fisher has a point about this in um, Exiting the Vampire Castle, but even though the ruling class, um, they promote this ideology of individualism, they tend to act as a class. They act in solidarity with one another to promote their own interests, right? And well, the rich have incredible class solidarity, exactly. and you see it constantly. <laughs> exactly. So this was kind of my first time in seeing this ruling class solidarity that existed kind of this, this uh, waiver in the, in the matrix for me as like a suburban middle-class white girl, right. That basically was on the path to becoming just the same. Right. And now we've seen that the millennial generation is so downwardly mobile and I'm amongst those people. Right. So that was kind of the first thing that brought me onto um, viewing the world in that kind of way. Yeah, like I was a teen in the heyday of conspiracy theories, the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm an 83 birthday and and I grew up watching X-Files and definitely liking X-Files and definitely going on to proto message boards and posting about X-Files. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was kind of my introduction to you know the idea that there were shadowy forces beyond our control that were controlling society and that were collaborating with aliens and mm-hmm. all that shit. Also, aliens are real now. Uh, like it's like on page seventeen of the New York <laughs> Times. It's just like yeah, we just declassified some shit and and uh, and uh, by the way, aliens are real. And also we've we've private. It's aliens are so passe that they've privatized the like collection of alien artifacts. Yeah, off-world off-world vehicles are now in the hands of the private sector. I love that detail when you pointed that out to me. Yeah, like Harry Reid, so like former senator, former House Majority Leader in the Senate, like big fucking deal, mm-hmm. was obsessed with these. Uh, was obsessed with UFOs and aliens. He was from Nevada, hilariously yeah. enough. And um, and yeah, he's just like talking to the media about like recently declassified stuff, and it's just like, oh yeah, we think uh, we think some alien artifacts are in private hands. What the <laughs> fuck? The um, alien trade, yeah, yeah, and uh, and that was that was mine. I mean, and then yeah, and then and then yeah, gradually as you um, you know, as you go down the kind of left wing conspiracy theory rabbit hole, right? You you yeah. definitely, I definitely learned about you know the Bilderberg Group and. Uh, and the Alex Jones stuff, which is still Alex Jones's greatest single piece of journalism that he's ever done, is that he infiltrated the uh, Bohemian Grove mm-hmm. and uh, and like brought a camera crew and like described you know their ceremonies in front of Moloch and all that stuff. It which looks is... evil as shit. Like, yeah. So for those that don't know, um, for a weekend uh, every year a bunch of very powerful people get together and they go to this place called Bohemian Grove. This is a hundred percent true. And they all kind of, they love to LARP and, and do like little like fancy lad productions of this. They love to do it. Um, so they all go away on this weekend. Um, the, all the staff that work there, the catering staff are like held to very, very, very strict not, uh, non-disclosure agreements. They put on robes and they burn a giant owl in, in like effigy, it looks so scary. Watch the Alex Jones coverage of it. It's amazing. And this is kind of like solidified Alex Jones as a major figure in this kind of like libertarian and like hyper dissident right, right? And they all piss in the woods. I remember that a lot too, is that they're peeing everywhere is freely encouraged. It's just one of the details of the of Bohemian Grove. They gotta, <laughs> always... I didn't know that. They But they gotta relax, man. Like they're, yeah. uh, they're all having hard days, you know, being CEOs, AKA like sitting around and doing jack shit um, and like when collecting ha- money. Um, so when you're hanging with the bros and you're planning evil shit, you just gotta have your wang out and pee sometimes, you know? <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. Okay, okay. So that's like how you got into it. But like, what's your favorite, um, like current conspiracy theory? What's the one that you're like currently down the rabbit hole on? Um, I mean, the last year has been really consumed by Epstein. I'm trying to kind of pull out back from that because I'm also finding the memification of that whole thing very quite disturbing. And I also think it's a way that people can talk about these like salacious details um, very openly, which I'm trying to kind of pull back because it's making me black pilled but one uh conspiracy that i'm super into right now is uh it's called the laurel canyon conspiracy and so there was this uh air force base called lookout mountain um that was uh, like a bunch of films were created in there and it was in los angeles and it was just this big military compound where they'd mostly put together um like atomic bomb footage during the cold war Um, But also they produce like a ton of Hollywood movies. And we all know that, you know, the uh, CIA, the uh, military industrial complex in Hollywood are like very, very tight, right? They, they, if you want to have a a military 
badge in a fucking movie. This the U.S. the Pentagon, a bunch of people from the Pentagon show up and essentially clear your movie. Exactly. Yeah, they like basically censor it at that uh, point um, rather than after it's released. They kind of if you want the cool stuff, you got to play game with uh, with them. So there's basically this conspiracy that um, comes out where a lot of the kind of counterculture. Uh, cultural figures of the 60s um, were the children of high level um, military people. And a lot of them would say that um, their families were dead or whatever, and they were orphans, but they actually were the children of high level uh, military people. And one of the ideas that comes out of that is that the hippie generation um, kind of existed to disrupt this like radical uh, emergence of this new kind of left consciousness, right? So this new um, anti-war, Black Panthers, all mm, that shit, civil rights, all this kind of yeah. thing, and um, this like widespread unrest against the um, the war in Vietnam, um, the, the organizing that was happening uh, to disrupt it. The this conspiracy theory goes, the uh, CIA kind of created this whole scene, right? This whole hippie scene that um, were headed by these these different musicians and these different kind of cultural figures um, that was not focused on making change, but rather disconnecting. So it's like the system, man, you don't want to like work for the man, you don't want to change politics, you want to withdraw from them and like start your own private commune um, outside of the purview of the rest of society where you're kind of off grid and not affecting things. So that's, um, that's kind of what the Laurel Canyon conspiracy is overall. The very interesting kind of contemporary thing that I just learned about was that Jared Leto now owns the compound at Lookout Mountain. And Jared Leto has been always been very um, secretive about his past. Uh, you can find out that the studio companies poured so much money into his and his brother's band, 30 Seconds to Mars. They never really made any money, but they like put all this um, kind of uh, resources into this band. And... <clears throat> when that didn't take off he kind of like became an actor and that's where he found most of his success um but also now he has like a cult <laughs> that people follow but those kind of culty vibes are infused throughout the 30 seconds to mars thing um so it's very it's a very like interesting parallel of this guy who's being so heavily promoted to be um a dominant like cultural figure in hollywood so i'm very like into that one right now sick uh i mean his i'm just reading his wikipedia page now his mom was a hippie his dad uh my mom's father was in the air force it doesn't say who his dad was mm -hmm. just his mom was a hippie uh yeah i will definitely i mean i mean you kind of run the the risk of just like everything being an op when you kind of i mean maybe it was just convenient that a bunch of fucking but yeah, it, it's it's hard to say, right? Uh, you do my run the you don't do run the risk, but at the same time, like the 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 connections become kind of undeniable in in a way. And like, look, I'm like way way far gone, so I don't necessarily recommend people um start thinking like this. But thinking like, okay, so Winona Ryder, famous actress, her godfather was like Timothy Leary, who's like a if you don't think he's a CIA ah, asset, I don't know. That. I don't know what I can tell you, right? So it's just like, oh, the veiled prophets in the, who's the secret society that operates in um, uh, in kind of the Midwest. 
uh, one of their, they have this weird ball where they queen one of, they crown one of the uh, debutante daughters, the queen of love and peace. Um, who was who one of the queen of love, love and peace? Uh, the comedian from like Kimmy Schmidt and um, uh, on, um, what's it called? Talk. Uh, doesn't matter, but it sounds the office, very the office. And oh. um, Ellie Kemper is her name. Mm. And uh, yeah, so obviously, sounds very like, summer to me. <laughs> obviously, it's really weird. You should look up photos. But um, obviously, like what that means is that you know rich kids get access to opportunities that you know poor kids don't get access to. I'm not saying that you know Kimmy Schmidt is an op, <laughs> but I think that it's very um, it's very fascinating. Uh, to consider all those kinds of connections. Yeah, I mean, so you brought up Epstein earlier, and, and not not that I've necessarily gone down the Epstein hole as much as some people have, but I think the the whole idea of Pizzagate and Epstein, right, that there is an, an ultra powerful circle of of kind of billionaire pedophiles, is um, kind of one that is is borne out by a lot of reporting, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and so I mean, I my my interest in conspiracy theories tends to to focus on kind of investigative journalism and, and what has kind of come out after the fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's maybe much my bias as a, as a, uh, someone who's currently fighting with the Edmonton police service to be considered a journalist. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one thing that came out relatively recently that really tickled my brain was, uh, a character who recently appeared on the popular Netflix drama, the queen. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've watched it. Uh, my partner really loves it. I know a lot of people love the queen. Uh, as a show, and one of the characters on the show is is a character named Lord Lewis Mountbatten, mm-hmm. uh, otherwise known as Dicky. Mm-hmm. And this fella is uh, like a grandson of Queen Victoria. He's like Prince Charles's great uncle, and really one of Prince Charles's primary father figures growing mm-hmm. up. And uh, Lord Lewis Mountbatten is um, a real uh, interesting. Is maybe the one way to put it. He's a pedophile. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he. Um, has come out in recently declassified documents from the FBI that he was a pedophile. Mm-hmm. Uh, the FBI files describe him as a homosexual with a perversion for young boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is reported on in Irish Cent- on Irish Central, a website that's based in Ireland, and the connection to Ireland will become clear later on when I tell his story. But uh, uh, yeah, Lord Louis Mountbatten, he liked to hang out at the... Uh, King Cora School for Boys mm-hmm. with another person who you, I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy, but a guy named Jimmy Savile. Mm-hmm. And Lord Louis Mountbatten was responsible for introducing Jimmy Savile to the royal family. And, and Lord uh, Jimmy Savile ended up becoming this, this, uh, this very close confidant of, of both, um, well, not Mountbatten because he, he died in the 70s, but, but of the royal family. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really, this didn't come, become known until after his death, though most of people, lots of people must have known about it. But Jimmy Savile was an absolutely rapacious fucking child predator and rapist. Right. Mm-hmm. And he used his popularity as, he used his fame as, he was one of the most popular pe- people in England he had. Uh, he was a television presenter, which is always a kind of uh, designation, which I kind of don't really know what that means. He's, he's on television. <laughs> he's very famous. Yeah. And he kind essentially had access. kind of vibe. Yeah. He had access to vulnerable young children all the time through both his fame and the, the charity he worked he did in hospitals. Fuck. Just absolutely fucking evil shit. Yeah. And people must have known about it, but it, whenever it came up while he was alive, it got fucking squashed. And yeah. one can speculate about why that was. 
but his close relationship with the royal family probably had something to do with it because the one thing that the royal family are actually good at is controlling the media. It is literally the only skill they have mm-hmm. is manipulating and controlling the media. Which why and, is uh, it so weird that Prince Andrew has fucked up so colossally? <laughs> yeah, just I mean every family has one, you know. Yep. And, uh, but yeah, so it, it comes out, these files are declassified in last year in 2019, uh, in August. Um, and it's like, you see these stories in the independent have fresh claims of abuse colored our views of Mountbatten's murder. So Mount Lord Louis Mountbatten, it'll be interesting to see if they actually deal with this in the crown <laughs> in the show at all, whether he his pedof- his pedophilia and kind of relationship with Jimmy Savile. But, uh, but, um, Lord Louis Mountbatten was blown up by an IRA bomb in 1979. Catholic exercise. Uh, yeah, which, you know, props to the IRA. There was uh, some collateral damage. Some, some innocent folks um, uh, were killed, but they did kill Lord Louis Mountbatten in 1979 with a bomb, blew, blew up his boat. And, um, and this, uh, this Lord Louis Mountbatten thing is, is absolutely fucking wild. When you actually dive into him as a character, too, he's this colossal, like, royal family fuck-up, too. Like, he was responsible for Dieppe, which is this episode in World War II history where a thousand or a few thousand kind of Canadian soldiers were sacrificed uh, in this kind of aborted uh, aquatic invasion or amphibious invasion of Europe. Um, again, that shows, shows, again, how the royal family is good at really only one thing because they were actually able to spin that post-World War II, that debacle into, oh, we learned a lot of useful things mm-hmm. from killing several thousand Canadian soldiers. Mm-hmm. It was actually a useful exercise. Right. Uh, in the crown too, he's also oh, oh, he's also um, uh, tapped to be the the kind of figurehead leader of this bankers coup that never ended up going ahead. But there was some like internal intelligence people, some some newspaper uh, shitheads, and uh, and a bunch of business people and bankers who who almost uh, cooed the uh, the the labor prime minister at the time, some like hapless loser who wasn't even like who was barely a social democrat, but they thought he was a communist, <laughs> and uh, and he was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And then in the show, I think he like kind of gets, I think in the show in the Queen on Netflix, he gets talked out of it by um, the by the Queen herself, who's like, absolutely not, no, this is silly. But um, but who knows <laughs> what actually fucking happened, right? Yeah. Um, legendary, he was also legendary protectors of democracy, the monarchy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah yeah so i i went down the rabbit hole on this uh mountbatten character kind of when the queen uh, the latest season of the queen came out and i'll be following along when future seasons of the queen come out to see how they deal with his uh you know um friendship and relationship with jimmy savile and uh, his activities at the king chorus school for boys yeah did you see um, um i'm sure you've seen the um uh the kevin spacey videos let me be frank oh and the and that stuff and like the the royal commemorative cup and him talking about these kind of veiled threats and stuff like that i'm sure you've seen that right i'm vaguely familiar with it yeah i mean the, the idea that there is this like deep uh deep state war between like factions loyal to kevin spacey and factions loyal to the, <laughs> the english monarchy is this hilarious possibly real thing that is going on right now it's, it's very possibly real because they were all friends and like then you see photos of like Ghislaine maxwell and kevin spacey within like on the the thrones in england hanging out with prince andrew who was really good friends with jeffrey epstein like i don't know if they're i don't think that it was a war thing i think it was more of a like um i have information on you thing or and it was just fucking weird and i really wanted there to be another uh release this year but there hasn't been yet 
Dare to dream. Okay, so let's let's wrap this up with uh, a kind of just a little roundup of Canadian conspiracy theories, things that might come up in a in a future red string column. Um, you know, the, the kind of conditions of this is that there has to be some kind of condition or some kind of connection to Alberta. Uh, but I mean, it, it can be pretty tenuous. I mean, not that you know, McKinsey being hired by the UCP was an excuse to kind of go off on McKinsey and the bread truth or conspiracy theory. But mm-hmm. is there any kind of like Canadian or Canadian related conspiracy theory or Alberta related conspiracy theory that you have your eye on for the next column? Um, I think we were talking quite a bit about looking at the idea of the quote unquote, like fourth Reich. So this idea of like, um, the fact that Nazism is like, alive and well across the world like especially here in western canada so this kind of harboring of um fascists um all over the world would be a really interesting um place to kind of look at we've also been talking about um the falun gong and um their uh shady dealings the epoch times all that kind of stuff um and it's yeah they're they're traveling broadway show which they poured tens of if not hundreds of thousands of dollars into promoting yeah i think it's called yeah (laughs) yeah i'm curious to to go to it this year but i missed it i was so upset (laughs) i think we might have to dig I need to know. Plus, it's a, a love, apparently a lovely and fun show, if a little, maybe a little boring. But uh, <laughs> I love a boring the, uh, show. Yeah, I mean, it just like the the, the like storytelling. Like, it looks really pretty, but there's not much story kind of thing. Is what I've heard. But I've um, heard that there's like a rising tide of like uh, Karl Marx face that comes and like crashes on the stage in this like horrible uh, display of like anti communism, oh, which I'm really excited to see with my own. You eyes. definitely need to go. I know. Uh, I mean. The, the, I don't know if we've if there if an Alberta connection to this has been found yet. We might have to dig or 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 push a little bit to find this, or or maybe just say fuck it and just write about it anyways. But like the the Nova Scotia mass shooting, mm-hmm. where people are currently calling for a full on inquiry, uh, you know, was called Maple Gladio recently by the the Chapo folks, the mm-hmm. Chapo boys. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like I think um, all of those are kind of potential subjects to cover, um, and um, you know, if you have something that you really want covered by all means reach out to uh, to me on twitter or in my email or uh, uh laura on twitter which is what this, what's your twitter handle again at underscore saturn return the truth or tip line is open is there anything else you, you want to close this pod out with or or did we kind of over the course of two hours finally have the discussion about conspiracy theories that we that we needed to have um yeah i think that that pretty much covers it i'm really excited to be uh doing this in an ongoing fashion i think it's going to be i think it's going to make me even crazier than i already am um but uh should be should be a lot of fun and i'm looking forward to uh, what other people think would be interesting to uh cover in this kind of segment yeah one last idea that here in my notes that maybe a subject for a future red string is uh the the Trudeau Castro connection, <laughs> popular oh, yeah. conspiracy theory fun. on the right that that yeah, uh, that, like that Fidel one. Castro is Justin Trudeau's dad, um, yeah, which <laughs> may explain his his, his his fondness for <laughs> Fidel, which is probably the only cool thing about Justin Trudeau. <laughs> Honestly, I wish, but. Uh... I don't think so, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it would be cool. No, I don't think it's, for, I mean, obviously it's not real. I think, I think it's yeah. debunked to like the timelines don't work out or anything, but, but it is uh, fun to write about. And like, there's all these like fun, uh, like conspiracy theory memes you can bring up from the right and them like kind of proving it and stuff. 
but uh, yeah, I but I think that's it. To, fo- uh, to follow uh, Canadian mm-hmm. Q, that that'd be an interesting one to take a look at and like Maple Q, baby. Like, world order stuff. Maple Q, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it for this episode. You uh, anything to plug? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at underscore Saturn Return, as I mentioned before. Um, I'm also uh, one of the co-hosts on um, Kino Lefter, so you can uh, follow that podcast where we talk about movies from a socialist perspective every week. Awesome. And if you like this podcast and want to keep hearing more podcasts like this, uh, one of the things you can do to help is to share it. By all means, just, you know, hit that, smash that share button, like, subscribe, share, all of those things. Um, You know, that's just, uh, word of mouth is the most important way that the podcasts like this actually get out into the world and more people listen to it. And and one final thing you can do to help out if you like this podcast and you want to keep hearing it is to become a supporter. Uh, You can help keep this little independent media project going by going to theprogressreport.ca slash patrons. Uh, put in your credit card there, you know, five, fifteen dollars a month, whatever you can afford, really, really helps. And we are kind of pivoting to a big, hard uh, launch, uh, relaunch in September. So if you want to beat the rush when I will be asking you for money nonstop in September, uh, just get in now and start giving us five dollars a month, and you can just ignore this part of the podcast. Um, <laughs> also, if you have any uh, notes, thoughts, comments, things you think I need to hear, you can reach me on Twitter at Duncan Kinney, and you can reach me by email at Duncan K at ProgressAlberta.ca. Thanks so much to Cosmic Family Communist for the amazing theme. Thanks so much again to Laura for coming on twice. <laughs> and uh, th- thank you for listening and 